You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Thursday, December 10th, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank Sierra Moon Goldsmiths, family-owned, full-service goldsmith shop specializing in custom-designed jewelry. Open Wednesday through Saturday, noon to 4 in Old Town Auburn. Information and designs online at sierramoongoldsmiths.com. The Center for the Arts, presenting In Conversation with, a live Zoom series featuring local experts in food, nature, art, and lifestyle with interactive Q&A. Sunday afternoons starting January 3rd. Information at thecenterforthearts.org. Well, coming up on tonight's newscast, we'll take a look at our local headlines and weather. Then we'll bring you NPR's national headlines. After that, it's Bravehearts, a show about the homeless in our area. Then we'll speak with Cameron Sears, the executive director of the Rex Foundation and former manager of the Grateful Dead, about the Rex Foundation's benefit happening this Saturday night. We'll close out our newscast with an essay from Molly Fisk. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, it's Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. The Sacramento Bee reports that the first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine could arrive in Sacramento on Monday, and the first injections of local health care workers potentially could begin that same day, marking a dramatic turning point in the area's 10-month battle with the persistent and deadly pandemic. Dr. David Lubarski, Chief Executive Officer for UC Davis Health, said his Sacramento Medical Center, one of the handful designated original vaccine repositories in California, has been told to prepare for the vaccine's imminent arrival. We don't know everything yet, but we're expecting a first shipment to be in our freezers on Monday, he said. We are ready and willing. The California Office of Emergency Services reports that with COVID-19 spreading at an increasing rate throughout the state and many Californians now under a mandatory regional stay-at-home order, the Governor's Office of Emergency Services is going to issue a region-wide emergency alert for the greater Sacramento region, including Nevada City and Grass Valley, tomorrow at noon, asking residents to stay home except for essential activities. The alert comes as the most recent statistics on COVID-19, including data on intensive care capacity, shows that the greater Sacramento region has dropped below the 15% ratio, triggering a regional stay-at-home order in the area. This message is informational only, and individuals who receive the alert should not contact law enforcement or call 911. The following alert is going to be sent via text messages through the wireless emergency alerts system to cell phone users across our region. It'll state the state of California. New public health stay-at-home order in your area. COVID-19 is spreading rapidly. Stay home except for essential activity. Wear a mask. Keep your distance. Visit covid19.ca.gov for more information. The message will also be sent out in Spanish. The weather forecast for Nevada City and Grass Valley is calling for cloudy skies this evening with lows in the low 40s. Tomorrow, cloudy with highs in the low 50s. Tomorrow night, cloudy with lows in the low 40s. Rain coming in this weekend. In Sacramento, tonight cloudy with lows in the mid-30s. Tomorrow, cloudy with highs in the upper 50s. Tomorrow night, cloudy with lows in the low 40s. In Truckee, tonight cloudy skies with lows in the upper teens. Tomorrow, cloudy with highs in the low 40s. Tomorrow night, cloudy with lows in the mid-20s. 
end in Angels Camp this evening. Cloudy with lows in the mid-30s, tomorrow cloudy with highs in the mid-50s, and tomorrow night cloudy with lows around 40. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. A panel of outside advisors to the Food and Drug Administration is recommending approval for emergency use of the first vaccine for the coronavirus in the United States. NPR's Windsor Johnson reports the vote clears the way for the FDA to greenlight the first round of shots as cases surge across the nation. This was the penultimate step in the authorization process, and it means the government could begin shipping the vaccines to individual states in a matter of days. The FDA is expected to move quickly to sign off on the panel's recommendation. The agency last week said healthcare workers and residents who live in group homes will be first in line to get the shots. On Wednesday, the U.S. recorded the highest number of deaths from COVID-19 in a single day, more than 3,000. NPR's Windsor Johnson. As COVID-19 cases surge, newly available data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is shedding light on the worsening situation in hospitals across the country. Texas Public Radio's Dominic Anthony Walsh reports dozens of intensive care units in Texas are now full. Across the state, 79 hospitals report intensive care units at or above capacity. The situation is on track to get worse as more people are hospitalized and as the condition of patients in non-ICU beds declines. On a seven-day rolling average, 138 facilities tell HHS they have more patients with confirmed or suspected cases of COVID-19 than the total number of staffed ICU beds. Some of the most severe shortages are reported by a handful of hospitals in urban centers. This creates a ripple effect to smaller rural hospitals as larger medical centers reject transfers at higher rates. More than 9,000 Texans are hospitalized with COVID-19. I'm Dominic Anthony Walsh in Bernie. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and his wife Susan were, quote, fully vindicated by a report from the Inspector General's office. That's how the State Department is describing it. Here's NPR's Michelle Kellerman. State Department says the agency's independent watchdog has found that Susan Pompeo did not violate federal regulations or ethics rules during the eight times she's traveled with her husband while he was on official business. The department statement accuses Democrats and some media of wasting energy on, quote, multiple fraudulent investigations. Pompeo fired the inspector general earlier this year. During a trip to the Middle East in 2018 amid a federal government shutdown, the secretary Secretary described his wife as a force multiplier, saying she was able to talk with families at U.S. embassies while he was in meetings. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. In a sign the latest uptick in the coronavirus is weighing on the economy, the Labor Department says initial claims for unemployment benefits rose to 853,000 last week. On Wall Street, the Dow was down 69 points today. You're listening to NPR. Police in Spokane, Washington, are investigating a failed bombing attempt aimed at the local Democratic Party headquarters there. NPR's Kirk Sigler reports one man, the lone suspect, is now in custody. Spokane police responded to a call from the local county's Democratic Party and Teamsters Union office that a man wearing a backpack with wires hanging out of it had claimed he was going to blow the place up. The building was evacuated, no one was injured, and the suspect was taken into custody. Police said they found no bomb, but that the suspect did start a fire in the building. 
In the days since, Democratic Party leaders have spoken of a chilling environment, and they've been quick to point out there's been little condemnation of the attempted violence from local leaders, including the city's Republican mayor. One state Democratic lawmaker told the Spokesman Review newspaper, quote, it's not just about the violent rhetoric, it's about the people who are silent. Kirk Sigler, NPR News, Boise. Massachusetts' highest court today ruled Governor Charlie Baker did not overstep his authority when he issued orders to close businesses and limit gatherings there to control the spread of the coronavirus. Supreme Judicial Court rejecting a challenge brought on behalf of a group including salon owners, pastors, and a private school. The court, meanwhile, rejected the lawsuit's argument the Republican governor's actions infringed on due process and free assembly. The court ruled that given the spread of the deadly virus, there is a need to protect the public, peace, health, security, and safety. Crude oil futures prices moved higher today, hitting its highest level since March, up a dollar and twenty-six cents a barrel today to end the session at forty-six seventy-eight a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. And you are tuned to the KBMR Evening News for Thursday, December 10th, 2020. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Hello, everybody. This is Betty Louise, and I am here with my friend and colleague, Darren, who is a peer support specialist at Insight Respite Center. I am actually going to start this whole piece with getting an update on your story. Darren is also someone we captured his story three years ago. And at that time, you were running a co-living network home and doing a lot of peer work. Now you're in a different spot and you've been through some personal things yourself. So let's bring everybody up to date. Yeah, where where we left off, you know, I was in a healing place, but it wasn't quite enough. I did have a a nervous breakdown around that time. And, And that's the thing about peers. We're good as long as we are stable ourselves. And there's time that we have to pull back and regroup and uh, collect ourselves and then get right back to it. You know, so there's a lot of time involved in the peer movement for us to collect ourselves and make sure that we're 100% for our clients that we serve. My mental health is imperative to what I do, so I need to take care of myself. That's a big part of being a peer because if we can't take care of ourselves, how can we take care of others? I, I was just in a really bad place, you know, with no hope. And when somebody shows you hope, it makes all the difference. It really does. And that's what I kind of want to like bring back, uh, to give back to people. It's like when I get that from somebody that has been so gracious in my life to like come along and offer hope. It's like the only thing I can do with that is just turn around and give it back. And it feels fantastic in what I do. Being a peer, we give so much of our own personal lived experience, but at the same time we are learning and we are growing from the very clients that we serve. And that is a fantastic experience. I don't think people get to do that in their daily lives. You know, that's pretty neat. And to watch somebody have hope is, is something that keeps me going in the field that I do. You know, when we get people in that you just think are so difficult and they're cynical and 
there's no reason for them to go on, they say. And then something happens where they become, there's a spark of interest. There's something like, yeah, you know, if, if you can do this, I can do this. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And then there's something that happens. There's a magic that happens. And sometimes it's just a little spark of hope. And then they're on. And to see that happen, and, and you know, you have to meet people where they're at in what I do. That's sometimes difficult because you would really like to see them advance to this finish point. But you know what? That is everyone's personal journey to get there. And it's not something that is predetermined. You can't like put a time date on when they're going to move to this mark or that mark. It's, it's all on, on, on our, our, our own. That's the magic that we can bring as peers is, is that spark of hope, is that reference to our own stories and, and our own lived experience. It's a pretty fascinating field. Only someone that has been through ups and downs and trauma with mental health can really connect in the way that you do. Right. The other thing I wanted to ask about, as I recall what was going on when you were moving out of this one situation and into another, is that you learned something about the comorbidity thing with mental health. Right. Can right. you share a little bit about that? Yeah, what you're referring to was also, uh, was formerly known as dual diagnosis. And yeah, these are people that suffer from um, drug and alcohol addictions co-occurring with um, mental illness. One can feed the other in a vicious cycle that just is, seems never-ending. It's like you might get sober for a little while, and then mental illness comes along with the bottle. And they just feed off of each other. They have to be addressed at the same time. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. We're talking with Cameron Sears, the executive director of the Rex Foundation and also the former manager of the Grateful Dead. Thanks for joining us, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Felton. It's been a while. It's nice to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to catch up. we got a cool thing going on this weekend for the Rex Foundation. Now, normally over the years, a lot of uh, deadheads up here would be thinking about their plans to come down to San Francisco this weekend because Rex Foundation always put on the best benefits. I think the last one I went to was at the Warfield back in the 90s, but it's always a, a really impressive event, and you've got to do something special this week. That's true. You know, normally we would be convening at the wondrous Fillmore. That's not possible for all the obvious reasons. So we uh, had done a wonderful uh, virtual celebration of Jerry's life in August, um, August 1st through the 9th, called The Days Between. And uh, we decided, well, maybe we can build on that experience and do our annual event in virtual space. And that's what we've done. So We've got kind of a three-part uh, evening, actually four parts. Um, the first part is a little VIP meet and greet that people can uh, get into uh, with Trixie Garcia and a bunch of her friends, and she's going to be talking about some of the things that she's been up to. Uh, she's launched a new cannabis line with her dad's uh, permission. 
Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna mention to people, Trixie Garcia is Jerry Garcia's daughter. Exactly, yeah. and so that's how we're gonna start off. Then we're gonna segue into uh, kind of a best of of the days between and highlight some of our grantees from this year. And then our our highlight moment of the evening will be um, a recreation of Working Man's Dead. It's the uh, 50th anniversary of the release of that record, having come out in 1970, obviously. And um, we've got some great artists. You know, obviously, people are going to be excited to hear Bobby and the Wolf Brothers and Jeff Comenti and Greg Lees performing. We've got Margot Price. Maybe you know the Nicole Atkins and the Swamp Stompers, which are the in-house band at Muscle Shoals. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Ozzy Freed is part of that get-up, and uh, he's terrific. Uh, Jackie Green's going to be coming in. Uh, Lucius is playing with us. Uh, Warren Haynes is contributing a track. So it's what we designed was we went out to some of our friends who we thought could do some really uh, spirited versions of the song on songs of working man dead and we asked him to go into a studio environment and kind of you know really you know hunker down and do something cool and that's what what they've done and the the tracks are fabulous it's going to be a very cool uh interpretation of the songs people are going to really enjoy it after that our good friend dan Leibowitz uh has put together a band with mookie siegel reed mathis uh, Jay Lane and then a group of women singers from up in Sonoma County. The Rainbow Girls are going to sit in for a little bit, and uh, Tim Bloom is going to be oh, awesome. sitting in. And Felton, this would be of interest to you, but um, Tim has done a great uh, tribute album to Merle Haggard that if you haven't heard, you should check out. Well, Tim is always, you know, from other hips, we've always been a big fan of his here, so that's, that sounds great. Yeah, check out that Merle Haggard tribute. It's really fabulous. All right, so tell people how they can tune in and watch this on the web. So we're, we're going to be live streaming it. It's pre-recorded, but it'll be streaming on Saturday evening. Uh, the best place to get all the information is to go to rexbenefit.org. And there's different, you know, packages that people can get with merchandising without. There's That'll also allow you to see rebroadcast because it's going to be long. You know, it's going to run about four hours of music. So there's a lot of lot of stuff to absorb, and uh, we'll rebroadcast it on Sunday and Monday. So if you end up getting a little tuckered out before it gets over, you can come back and watch it the next day. That's just excellent. Yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, the stuff that you put out back in August. So we know that this is going to be a high quality production as well. It will be. We're also we've got a auction component to it that any you know is live uh, now as a matter of fact again on the rexbenefit.org website i got some cool things in there got a beautiful little garden gnome of jerry made made of bronze that this friend of ours has made we we really love that um that would freak some that would freak me out if i was walking by somebody's garden you you should go check it out i mean it, it it's like nothing you've ever seen you know and uh a friend of ours, Zim Caracelli, makes them out in Bolinas, and they're they're just beautiful, hand cast, hand forged uh, bronze sculptures, and you know they're just a hoot. And uh, a lot of cool Grateful Dead memorabilia, some wonderful photographs, some posters, a little bit of everything. A Owsley signed belt buckle, which is kind of a rare thing these days, um, since he's left the mortal coil. But uh, lots of fun stuff to poke around and check out. 
Why don't you explain to people what the Rex Foundation actually is? It's, it's a pretty famous uh, nonprofit organization that the dead started, what, back in the early 80s? Yeah, that's right. We, we started, the Rex Foundation uh, was created in 1984. Our thing really has been focused on uh, giving grants to or nonprofit organizations with annual budgets of less than a million dollars. And we even prefer to find people that have annual budgets of under $200,000. We're, we're really looking for people where if we give them five to $10,000, that money's going to st- go straight into the program and really, really make a difference. So um, I know that we've given some grants up in the uh, Nevada City area over the years. I, I think we gave one to Circle when they were working on protection of the Yuba River. Uh, we've given money up on San Juan Ridge, um, different spots. And, you know, we, end, we, we like to kind of spread it out. And, you know, we kind of view it as kind of venture philanthropy. You don't, we don't really want to give money to established big organizations. We really are looking for people that are on the ground and have found a need and are dedicated to working, working through that process for that specific goal. Yeah. Um, you know, protecting a river that's near and dear to their heart or, you know, a music program in a school or what have you. The point being that the people that are involved are right on the front lines, and you know when you give them $10,000 or $5,000, it's going to go right into the program and make a difference. And give the Rex Foundation's website out. Yeah, so that would be rexfoundationoneword.org. And you can see a list of all of our grantees from inception uh, to date. You know, we've given away close to $9.5 million to over 1,300 organizations. And it's all been in small little increments. And many of the people that we've given money to have gone on to do great things and, and become organizations that we could no longer fund because they've gotten too big. <laughs> so that's, that's been gratifying when you, you know that you're on the ground floor and people have really you know, seized the moment and made a big difference. Yeah, you provided seed capital. That's right. That's exactly right. Venture philanthropy. <laughs> And, of course, uh, if you want to view it this weekend, it's rexbenefit.org. Correct. And that's uh, – so and you can – what do you go on? So you go there right now, and you could, you could probably sign up, uh, you know, give them your credit card, and yeah, be all ready to go. Yeah, you sign up for whichever package you, you like. Some of them come with merchandise. Some of them don't. And you can make a donation on the website if you don't want to attend. You'll get sent a link, and then you'll, you'll open your link on Saturday evening and – the show will be streaming into your computer or into your TV or whatever, or, or whatever you listen to live streams through. It's going to be very high quality and really, really a lot of fun. And you said also people will then be able to watch it again or archive it again and look, see it again once they, uh, right. they sign up. Yeah. Excellent. That's right. Yeah, they can't archive it, but you can, you will be able to watch it again. We're talking with Cameron Sears, the executive director of the Rex Foundation, whose uh, benefit Ain't No Time to Hate is happening this Saturday. Uh, talk about Ain't No Time to Hate. I was asking you earlier. I think I know where that came from. Yeah, so, you know, we always try and come up with interesting names, uh, subtle names for our events, and uh, Ain't No Time to Hate, you know, just seems so appropriate for the times that we've been living through, and uh, pretty soon it's going to become uh, boundless love. But uh, regardless, it's uh, it's a line from the lead track in Working Man's Dead, Uncle John's Band, in Uncle John's Band. Okay. Ain't no time to hate, barely time to waste, right? 
That's it. We've all sung it. Yes, we have. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So that's all happening this Saturday night. The Ain't No Time to Hate, a virtual benefit for the Rex Foundation. You can go to www.rexbenefit.org uh, for all of this information. All right. We've been talking with Cameron Sears, Executive Director of the Rex Foundation. Hey, Cameron, it's always great to catch up with you. Good to hear your voice, Felton. Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll be doing something live together before too long. Oh, I, I sure hope so. I mean, I just want to tell people, the last Rex benefit I went to was at the Warfield, and it was uh, Bob Weir and Rat Dog and Little Feet. And it was so much fun. And I think one of the best reasons it was so much fun is Wavy Gravy got a little you know, under the weather, and he left, and he gave me his table. So I had prime seats for the whole thing, too. <laughs> yeah, I remember that night well. Yes, yes. Actually, our engineer, Dave Barnett, Buzz, he was there with me, too. We had a, we had a wonderful time that night, and we're going to have a wonderful time this Saturday evening for Ain't No Time to Hate. Uh, go to rexbenefit.org. Thank you very much, Cameron. Hey, thank you, Felton. Always a pleasure, and keep the faith. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I'm sitting on my back deck in short sleeves in December. The leaves are gone from the birches, box elder, ash, and both maples, but not the smokebush tree, which is blazing away dark red against the blue California sky. A friend of mine, a Zen student, had a motto on her wall that said, I love this cup even more because I know it's already broken, next to a picture of an unbroken cup. This always annoyed me, like a riddle everyone else knew the answer to, but I couldn't guess. I hate those, and I don't like it when my favorite cups get broken either. Today, however, about 30 years later, I get it. Unusually warm days in December have helped teach me, and wildfires only four miles from my back deck, and the scruffy black cat curled in my left arm as I write, who I never thought would live so long. I thought he'd be dead in April, and then in July, and then in October. Last week he threw up eight times in the space of two hours. I told everyone he wasn't going to last the weekend, but here it is Thursday again, and he's still able to jump from the floor to my knee and settle in for a nap. If you're not a Zen student, maybe you have to reach a certain age before you understand that everything is temporary. This cat is going to die. This house is going to burn. At some point, the weather here won't support growing the food humans need to eat. The philosophical point is that because we realize everything is temporary, we can take in more deeply the beauty and wonder of what's in front of us, like this smokebush tree. Humans get to practice loving and letting go by watching the seasons change year after year. I'm talking spring, summer, fall, and winter, but even if you never go outdoors, you still feel the cycle after the World Series ends and you're forced to make do with hockey on TV. Then suddenly, oh joy, it's April and opening day, and the cubs for a brief shining moment are not yet last. Temporariness is a subset of uncertainty, which is the great lesson of the year 2020. Who will catch COVID and will they survive? Which restaurants will make it through winter? 
How many more black people will be killed by racist police officers? How many more children locked in cages? We don't know. Someone said in one of the Swedish mysteries I like to watch that the only thing worse than pain is the anticipation of pain. At that point, I turned the sound off and began playing Sudoku, since there was clearly a torture scene coming up. But I figure when Zen practitioners and Swedish serial killers agree on something, it may be close to universal. We don't know what's going to happen next, to the economy, the landscape, the lives of our family members. Making plans and moving forward into a predictable future might have been delusional all along, but at least it seemed reasonable for a while and that made life easier. This not knowing is incredibly hard to bear. The mental health ramifications of 2020 haven't even begun to be felt. Forget about that Zen koan of one hand clapping. What is the sound of a billion eyes crying? Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. For their support, we'd like to thank Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Cyril's Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. F-O-U-R, pause, A-C, dot com. Well, coming up next, it's Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. See you tomorrow night for the KVMR Evening News.